Hi, it's Chelsea. Before we start today's episode, I wanted to remind our listeners that Quiet Connection is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support our mission to spread awareness about postpartum mental health and help us continue making content, please consider joining our Patreon account, where you can expect things like ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and goodies in the mail once a month. Thanks so much, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, welcome to Quiet Connection, a podcast dedicated to ending the stigma around postpartum mental health. I'm Chelsea. Today, I'm chatting with Kaylee, who bravely opens up about her profoundly isolating journey through miscarriage and medical trauma while living in Hawaii, separated from her loved ones and support system. Let's hear from Kaylee. Hello. Today I am here with Kaylee. Hi, Kaylee. How are you? Hi, Chelsea. I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you on the show with us today. We met through this is another kinder music mom we're um we're giving props to kinder music for creating community but yeah I met Kaylee through kinder music and your little girl who just turned one yes uh, my daughter Halia she just turned one a couple of days ago and uh, I met Chelsea through kinder music we had an amazing group yeah. that class um a lot of good moms and friends that came out of that. Yeah, that and I I feel like I'm already like diving right in, but like that's that was such an important step for a lot of us in that class. We found out like just joining that class and being around other moms and being around other kids like was super helpful. It, it was for me. It, I remember Lilac from a previous episode and Rebecca like just talking about how nice it was to be able to connect with other moms. Yeah, totally. And just everyone was really open. Um, and then you're hearing, oh, I'm struggling with a similar thing and, you know, finding um, some comedy in it, too. Yeah. was like very relieving and felt really good. Yeah. Well, like I said, I'm I'm excited um, that you decided to do an episode and and I'll start with how I start all my episodes. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and who you were before you were Halia's mom? Yes. So my name is Kaylee. I am a mom now to a one-year-old. A little bit about myself. That's always kind of like a tough <laughs> question. I don't know where to start. Um, I went to UVM. Uh, that's how I kind of like fell in love with Vermont and knew that I wanted to settle down here. I studied exercise in college, so I've always been really passionate about health and wellness, nutrition. Um, that's definitely been challenging to navigate, you know, through pregnancy and becoming a mom and body changes and all of that. But maybe we'll get into that a little later. Um, I just got married uh, over Labor Day weekend to... Really? Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I just got married to Sean, who's now my husband. He's Halia's dad. Um, we met when I moved back to Vermont, uh, like right at the start of the pandemic in 2020. And so before I met Sean, I was previously married I got married very, very young to a guy in the military. Um, so I had traveled kind of all over with him, Virginia, Seattle, Hawaii, uh, before moving back to Vermont and meeting Sean and becoming a mom. Yeah. Wow, you were all over the place. Yes. And it was a good experience. Um and every time we went somewhere new, I was like, nope, Vermont is definitely where I want to be. As awesome as this is, Vermont is better. So I love it here. <laughs> I'm not going to disagree with you. It's nice to get away for a little bit, but I like our little bubble up here. Totally. I love it here. So did you grow up in New England? Um, so I grew up in Massachusetts, um, just outside of Boston. Okay. And then came to UVM for college and just loved it here. Yeah. A lot of people do that. They come either UVM's obviously our big 
our big university, but a lot of people come for college and then they just don't leave. And that's, exactly. That's cool because it's great here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what sort of things fill or filled your cup? What were some of the things you were passionate about exercise um, yes. and nutrition? What sort of other things did you do to sort of like recharge? Um, Kind of like everything wellness. Uh, so exercise is like my number one, just, it makes me feel so good. Um, nutrition, trying new recipes, like reading nutrition books and then meditation. Um, I've been very into probably like since college reading, skincare, just kind of like everything wellness is what makes me feel good. That's awesome. And you got to focus, you sort of focused your studies on that. So that's really cool. Yeah. And sometimes I regret what I studied in college because it hasn't necessarily amounted to this fabulous career. (laughs) A lot Uh, of us feel that way. (laughs) Yes. But at the same time, like the knowledge I have from it, I think is you know, it's practical in everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of us are in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Um, college was more for the experience than for the career. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> very, a very expensive experience. Right. But, but did you always picture yourself having kids? Yes. I've always wanted to be a mom. But I would say I'm not exactly sure why I had that feeling or where that feeling came from because I've always been very awkward around other people's children and like nieces and nephews. Like I was weird and awkward and didn't know how to connect with kids and like couldn't be goofy. Mm. But I always had this like internal drive to be a mom. And now that I am a mom, it's it's a lot easier to, like, come out of my shell with other kids. So, yeah, I'm just trying to grow in that area. And I'm sure Halia is the sweetest. And she, <laughs> I'm sure she makes it a little, if she's approaching the other kiddos, it's a little easier to to make those connections, too. Yeah, totally. But, yeah, maybe it was a confidence thing. Like, I've always been quiet and... Um, always like a little self-conscious in my skin. So now that I'm a mom, I'm just trying to like break down those barriers and like reach out to people and set an example for Halia. So what did the journey into motherhood look like for you? So the journey to motherhood um, started for me about four years ago. Okay. Um. I would actually say it was even before that, maybe five, six years ago. Um, I was actively trying to have a baby with my then husband. I had been diagnosed with fibroids, Mm. um, which are very common. The doctors were concerned because I was on the younger side and my fibroids were very large. Um, but they didn't want to remove them until we tried to have a baby because they didn't want to cause more damage to my uterus. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually it had been like a year and a half. Um, we get pregnant and everything's great. And this was like early June 2019. I ended up having a miscarriage I was like 13 weeks along oh man um and like it was it was really hard it was really sad um you know I grieved it but I was okay there were some other things going on in my life which is kind of like a whole nother story so there was a lot going on it wasn't really the best time to have a baby Mm -hmm. Uh, so there were ways that I was like okay like it just wasn't was it meant to be? But I was happy that I was able to successfully get pregnant. So I tried to focus on that. And so I went to the ER in the middle of the night. I had like severe, severe pain. Um, 
and they diagnosed the miscarriage and they said, you know, there's no reason to do a DNC. We're just going to let you go home and monitor yourself and just follow up with your primary care in a couple of days. So everything was fine and normal. I went to my primary care. They examined me and just let me go home. And yeah, I don't really know how to describe this other than um, I basically experienced like a series of these heavy, heavy bleeding episodes like over the next six weeks. Oh, wow. So I think it, so it was like two weeks later. I remember like very vividly, it was like July 1st um, and I was sitting at home and this is when I lived out in Hawaii, which I don't know if it plays a role, but you know, um, the healthcare out there is not what it is here. Yeah. So yeah, two weeks later, you know, I'm sitting at home and something just feels like weird and like I couldn't even describe it. I didn't even know that I was bleeding, but I'm like, okay, what's going on down there? It just feels hot. Yeah. And um, I stood up and I'm just like literally like a spigot of blood just mm. pouring out of me. I didn't even know that you could bleed that way. Yeah. And there's, I couldn't even, you know, change my pad fast enough. There's blood all over the floor. I'm panicking, but I didn't know what to do. And I called my husband at the time, Matt, and he was on his way home from work. And I just laid down and he got home and the bleeding had seemed to subside. And he just helped me get cleaned up. We cleaned up the floor and I felt really freaked out, but I didn't do anything about it. I'm like, okay, it's done. Right. Um, Because I was still bleeding from the miscarriage at the time. So yeah, that was like the first, the first of many episodes. Um, Probably like about a week later, the same thing happened again. And I did go to the ER. Okay. By the time I'm at the ER, the bleeding has slowed down. I am still passing like massive clots. Yeah. But the doctors didn't seem concerned about that for some reason. Wow. Yeah. Surprising. I remember telling them like, I didn't even know that they were blood clots because they were just these like perfectly circular (laughs) balls coming out of me. And I kept telling the doctor like there's balls coming out of me. And they were like, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Your bleeding has slowed. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the ER doctor put me on birth control and told me to take it. Yes. Told me to take it for seven days and that hopefully it would regulate my hormones. Oh my God. Yep. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but like what? (laughs) Right. And he didn't really like explain it. I'm just like, okay, like, okay, I go to the pharmacy, pick up the birth control. It's like midnight. Take it for seven days. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And this will eventually lead to my mental health struggles. I know it's very physical right now, but. um, Oh, they're tied. They're totally tied together. Yes. Yeah. So then about two days later, I mean, this is all a blur, rough timeline. Um, Another bleeding episode. I go to the ER and they put me on a TXA, which stands for some type of acid, which is like a blood clotting medicine. Okay. I'm like, okay, I'll take this. They thought that it would just help control the bleeding. They still thought that I was just having like a normal miscarriage. Um, That's so surprising to me because this is like weeks later, isn't it? Or Yes, weeks yeah. later. And So every time I would go to the ER, they would test my blood count. Um, And I was like hovering like right at seven. I don't know the proper units, but I know that like a normal person's hemoglobin is like 12 or 13. Mm -hmm. And once you dip below seven, you're kind of in the range of needing a transfusion. Yep. Um, So they kept telling me, you know, if this happens again, you do need to come back to the ER. 
because we need to monitor your blood count. So they put me on the TXA. That seemed to work for like a week. Um, But then as soon as I stopped that medication and the prescription ran out, I had another episode. And so along with this episode, I had like severe abdominal pain, a fever that wasn't responding to Tylenol. I had the worst chills I've ever experienced in my life. Oh my gosh. I remember being at home. It was like two in the morning. I'm in the shower with the heat turned all the way up, just like shaking. Mm. Um, So I went to the ER. Uh, They did a bunch of tests. My blood count was still like hovering right around seven. And they also noticed that I had a high white blood cell count. So then, even with all the other symptoms, the ER doctor gave me antibiotics for a UTI. What? Yes. Oh my God, for a UTI? For a UTI. I said, I'm not having any UTI symptoms. She said, well, your white blood cell count is high and I don't see any other reason for that. Oh my gosh. Yep. (laughs) And she continued (laughs) to tell me, if you bleed like this again, you need to come back. So I remember going to the pharmacy the next day to get my antibiotics, just like feverish and like sweating and shaking. And it was just, it was not right. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, like I'm, again, maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get some slack for this, but like, I'm not a doctor, but my mind goes to like, not UTI, but like a uterine infection or something. Yes. Yes, Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) So I don't know, you know, um, Hawaii, like the healthcare system, it's not what it is here. And also, I'm not trying to talk badly, but military healthcare system is also not um, up to par, in my opinion. Okay. Um, So I don't know if that affected what these doctors were saying, trying to just kind of brush me off and send me back home. So then I had... Another bleeding episode. Oh, my (laughs) God. That was very, very bad. Um, I was eating dinner and, like, literally just pouring out blood onto the floor. And um, that night, I really thought, like, I am dying. Yeah. Like, I am bleeding out. And it was faster to have Matt drive us to the hospital than it was to call 911. And I remember being in the car, like reclined, just like, I'm dying. I'm going to die. And when I got to the ER, the bleeding had slowed down. They are then now proposing that it's because of my fibroids and that my fibroids are shrinking back down after being pregnant. Mm. And like, I really resonated with your episode because I kept asking the doctors, like, can you please just tell me I'm not going to die? Yeah. Can you please just tell me that this is not going to happen again? And yeah. nobody could tell me that. No. <laughs> it was it was just terrifying. I was like, then don't send me home. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I started to become so, so anxious, just constantly panicking, like waiting for the next bleeding episode. I was afraid to be home, like without a mode of transportation. Uh, There was one episode that I did call 911 and the ambulance took me to the ER. Um, I was terrified to be far from the hospital. I would, there was one night, it was like two in the morning and I woke up just panicking and Nothing was wrong in the moment, but I went to the ER Mm. and I just wanted to be there and just get some sleep because that's like the only place I felt safe. safe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can totally relate to that. And I remember there were days where um, I wasn't working at the time and there were days where I would go to the hospital early in the morning and I would just hang out there all day. I had my laptop. I had some snacks. But it was the one place that I felt like, okay, if this happens again, they can help me. Yeah. Um, And it's really like, that's obviously not 
healthy, um, but that's like the type of anxiety that I was experiencing where I even thought like, I'm just going to sleep in my car in the hospital parking lot because oh I was my gosh. terrified. So then it happened again. Oh, Kaylee. I mean, I don't even know how many times. And this this is the final time, but they, they basically proposed okay, it's not your fibroids. Maybe you have a polyp that's causing bleeding. So they had me same day get like a very painful imaging test done of my uterus where they kind of like you're awake and they, they, I think they dilate your cervix and inject like dye into your uterus and take pictures. Mm. Um, And they didn't necessarily see anything. Uh, And I went back to the clinic, the OB clinic, that very same day. And um, this doctor that I had seen a couple of times, I kid you not, she told me that I was emotional. Oh, my God. Like, I'm not even kidding. It's It's from a movie. She said, you've just had a miscarriage. You're emotional. Because I'm panicking to her I'm like something's wrong something needs to be done this isn't gonna stop yeah I'm scared I'm gonna die and she wasn't gonna do anything and so I said then you know what you need to like prescribe me some anti-anxiety meds because I'm losing my mind yeah and so she prescribed me like one Ativan (laughs) oh Ativan (laughs) one that I went and I picked up at the pharmacy and I just took it um, and then I, I immediately went to patient services at the military hospital and I made a formal complaint. Oh, good for you. Yeah. When she called me emotional, I was like, no. When you said that, <laughs> I literally, so for listeners, we can't see each other right now. I like shot up in my chair. I got in like defense mode. It made right? me so mad. Yes. And like, yes, I'm emotional, but like there's something physically going on. Yes. Um, so the very next day, the head of OB at this military hospital called me and said, we'll get you in for a DNC. Okay. And I cried tears of joy. Ugh. Like it's, it's what I had been just begging them to do. Like just do a DNC. Just, just put an end to this. Yeah. And it was still thought that I had some type of polyp that was causing this bleeding. So I woke up from the DNC and the surgeon was there um, just telling me how everything went. And I said, okay, so like, where was the polyp? Was it just one polyp? And she just looked at me and she said, no, you didn't have a polyp. You had retained products of conception. Mm, Oh, Kaylee. Yeah. And like, I mean, it had been, this is now the end of July. I miscarried six weeks ago. Oh my God. And I just like, I didn't even say anything to her. I think I was like so stunned because I, I had every symptom in the book of that. Yeah. Every single symptom. And my body was like profusely bleeding and having these episodes trying to expel the pregnancy. You know, and I had all the infection signs, the white blood cell count, the fever, the chills, the pain. Yeah. And um, I didn't like get an apology or like any type of... I don't know what I was looking for, but just some type of like acknowledgement that um, this was not adequate health care. Yeah. So then, you know, everything's done, but I had been in like fight or flight for six weeks. Yeah. Um, so I'm left with like just this crippling anxiety and panic attacks. You know, it was like six weeks of thinking I was going to die. I can't. Yeah, I'm, I was going to say, I can't imagine. I, I mean, I know, I know, I know what that feels like. Yes. And, and I mean, I never got an apology or anything. Mm-hmm. I never sought one. And, and, and for whatever it's worth, like it, I, I don't know. I cannot fathom being disregarded in the way that you were for as long as you were. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just, I'm just so thankful that you survived that. That's insane. Yeah, it was, it was terrifying. And like, I don't, when I, 
I don't even know how to describe it to people. Like, does it count as, can I describe it as a hemorrhage? Because, like, my bleeding always controlled itself. And, like, that's why they didn't treat me. And, you know, I don't even really know how to describe it. I just say these, like, bleeding episodes. You well to me. You just had like multiple hemorrhages. Not you just. Yeah. You had <laughs> you had multiple hemorrhages for a long stretch of time. Yeah, that's, that's so hard on your body too. Totally. And oh so, um, yeah, when it was all over, I remember like being at home recovering from the DNC, and you know, I was still nervous. Like the bleeding's gonna come back. This isn't gonna fix it. But just sitting there and like knowing it's all over kind of, um, it's like my my brain didn't know what to do. Yeah. Like I was in this like residual like panic mode. And so I found a therapist like I, I knew I needed help. And how was that? How was did, was it easy for you to find a therapist? You were still in Hawaii at this time? Yes. Yeah. Um, so the military was uh, pretty good with, you know, they'd, they'd help you set up with a mental health counselor. They'd contact them for you and set up your first appointment. But I found a therapist and I think I think I found the therapist because, um, like, yeah, I was just having this constant panic, this constant anxiety and like physical symptoms, like my heart is racing, like I feel like the world's about to end. Yeah. Um, and then I started having like very intrusive thoughts, I guess you could say. So we lived in Hawaii and like the main highway to get to where we lived was essentially like the side of a cliff. Oh my. Um, and I, I don't know if I was like depressed or just so severely anxious. I was absolutely terrified that I was going to drive off the cliff. Mm. And I don't like, I, I wasn't suicidal, but I was afraid that I would do it. Yeah. And like, I don't know what that is classified as, um, well, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's definitely an intrusive thought. Yeah. It was, it, I would compare it to like when, again, this is not about me at all, mm-hmm. but like when, when Avery was teeny, teeny, tiny, um, I would have thoughts like, don't burn the baby on the stove. Yes. Or like, don't, don't let the baby drown in the tub. Totally. And it, for you, it's like, don't drive off the cliff. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you're not like, I'm going to do these things, but it's like, hey, just let me bug you a little bit and have you worry about it. Yeah. And it was so, like, like I would have, like, panic attacks when driving. Like, I didn't, like, trust myself to not do it. Yeah. Um, And so, this was, like, the main highway to get to where we lived. I would just avoid it at all costs and, um, you know, drive for, like, an hour and a half if I needed to go somewhere just to take the back roads. <sighs> Um, like it was definitely impacting my life. Yeah. So I, I sought a therapist about it. Um, she kind of reassured me. I don't know. Um, I guess she was helpful just talking about everything that had happened. Um, but she just kind of reassured me like, you're not going to drive off the cliff basically is all I remember. <laughs> so, no, Kaylee, you're not going to drive off the cliff. That's helpful. <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't necessarily helpful. And I think it got to a point where I realized like I really need medication. It's hard to describe even how I was feeling, but I can still feel it. Yeah. Um, just that like deep rooted anxiety of just... I don't know, feeling like the world was ending, feeling like I was dying, feeling like I was going to do something crazy. Yeah. I'm wondering, I, I, I saw a comparison, uh, a person posted a video, and I'm wondering if it'll resonate with you. He explained anxiety and not like generalized anxiety, like the anxiety that you're describing and the anxiety that, that a lot of us go through with postpartum anxiety as that feeling that you get right before you're about to fall, mm-hmm. but constantly. Mm-hmm. Like, so that, that, that 
total and utter fear and dread, like I'm going to fall and it's going to hurt and I'm going to be severely injured, that split second, but it's constant. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Is that kind of like similar? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. How was your um your then husband at the time in terms of support? Well, um, this is a whole other <laughs> <laughs> You don't a- have to go into it if you don't want to. <laughs> no, I'm 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 definitely happy to provide some background because it it is a whole other story um in itself. Um Okay. He we are now divorced. Um and so basically he um struggled with some trauma in the military which led to pretty severe depression and he also became a very non-functioning alcoholic. Okay. Um so right before I got pregnant, he had done his first stint in rehab. Mhm. And um, he was not better by any means, but he was hiding that. Okay. And, you know, I was pregnant. I thought everything was dandy. He's better. This is great. And I was still pregnant when he he kind of like went off the rails and um, said, I, I can't be a dad. Oh, my gosh. I can't be married. I can't have responsibility or duty to anybody I don't want this house I don't want that ever I want to like live alone in the woods like he had a complete mental breakdown um wasn't showing up for duty was like drinking at six in the morning there was a couple of times we had to call the cops to the house um And he ended up being, like, placed in a psychiatric ward. Um, He was, like, severely suicidal. And at the time, I actually, I scheduled my abortion. My abortion was scheduled for, like, five days before I miscarried. Oh, my gosh. And as much as I, like, wanted the baby and originally was like, nope, like, I'm going to raise this baby on my own. Like, I'm going to get through it. Um my parents were both single parents growing up and they said, you really need to think about that. And if that's like the best decision for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I kind of had the realization one night, like in the middle of the night, like, you know, this is not the best thing for me. And like, I have the chance to kind of start over, you know, I'm 26. um, Yeah. And I decided to schedule the abortion as hard as it was. And, um, before I miscarried, I, I, um, I like was hoping I would just miscarry so I didn't have to deal with the abortion and like the emotional pain of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so essentially, Matt and I were still living together when all this was going down, but I, I grieved the miscarriage by myself. Oh. Um, he was not uh, there emotionally, and I think I was still struggling with bleeding when he was in the psychiatric ward so I was alone for most of it yeah oh my gosh so it's a whole other (laughs) whole other thing that kind of like compounds um the trauma of it all yeah and you're you're in Hawaii you're not around your family yep I mean I don't know what the friend situation looked like but I'm assuming like there was, you didn't have a community behind you. Totally. We had just gone there maybe like three months prior. Mm. Um, and so I had some neighbors who were nice, like a group of girls lived there. They were all nurses. Um, and I, I stayed there a couple of nights when Matt was, where I just didn't feel safe around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember when I started miscarrying it, Um, like I was bleeding before I experienced like really severe pain. Um, I was actually at the neighbor's house and it was like the middle of the night and I was in their guest room and I I had my dog with me and we like got down on the floor because I didn't want to stain their sheets or anything. And I didn't have like access to pads because I didn't feel safe to go home. Yeah. 
And yeah, I remember calling uh, my stepmom that morning and we just like cried on the phone together. She was just like, you don't even feel like you can go home and get a pad. And I was like, no, I really don't want to. (sighs) So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) It's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. It is a lot. And, and And the fact that the anxiety stemmed from that, like, holy how could it not have what yeah. a what a traumatic like wholly traumatic experience for you totally yeah just like this couple months of like complete like fight or flight and like not knowing a like am i going to die but also not knowing like what's going to happen like with my entire life yeah wow how how did you come out the other side of that? Um, well, that actually like leads into another like important aspect of my like postpartum mental health journey is I I was still living in Hawaii, but I started like literally the only way. Well, I was on meds at the time, which were very helpful. Um, I still am on medication. Um, the only way that I could like deal with the emotional pain of like my marriage ending and losing a pregnancy and also this anxiety was uh, diet and exercise became like the way that I felt control Mm -hmm. and the way that I could kind of like push away processing everything that had happened. Okay. Um, Like I lived in like a little bubble in Hawaii. Um, I lived alone and I worked out for like five hours a day. And I, I like lived by like this checklist until from the time I woke up till the time I went to bed. And I just, I didn't really process fully like emotions or grief. I just worked out Yeah, and like, controlled my diet like by the gram I was like a hundred pounds I was tiny oh my goodness by the time I moved home my parents were like whoa you're like too thin which couldn't have been easy to hear because you're like I'm doing what I'm I'm doing what I can to to calm my anxiety you guys yeah but I think like at the time like I didn't realize that that was my coping mechanism Mm. I only realized it, um, I think, after becoming a mom and, like, going through a full pregnancy where I had to eat like a normal person. And, you know, when I was pregnant, it's very uncomfortable. You can't work out for five hours a day. Um, I remember trying to push myself through workouts absolutely in tears Mm. from, like, the sciatic pain. But I didn't want to stop because I wanted that aspect of control. Mm-hmm. And then like becoming a mom, life is chaotic and unpredictable. You you can't live in a bubble. You can't adhere to this perfect schedule no. every day. <laughs> no. You <laughs> and can that try. Has, <laughs> yes. But no, it doesn't work. I think that I tried and tried and tried and failed and failed and failed and it would lead to more like anxiety and like depression and feeling unfulfilled um, because I couldn't get back to my bubble life Mm -hmm. Um, and so like your episode I really like connected when you said that like you're different and your life is different and you know you have to accept that yeah, and it's the not. I'm still working on that, Kaylee. Yes, <laughs> I hate me too. to say it, but I'm still working on that. Me too. I, I definitely have not accepted it yet, and um, like not having this, like this way to like control my feelings through exercise and diet and like the perfect schedule. Um, not having that anymore as a mom has. I think my anxiety has really ramped up because I feel kind of lost Yeah. Um, without those things. And, you know, Sean, my husband now, he'll say, well, just take 20 minutes and like 
you know, do some yoga or do this or do that, like fit it in when you can. But like to me and to my mind and, you know, I don't know if it's like OCD or just controlling the anxiety, like that's not good enough. Like I need to work out for like an hour at five every day and like have my regimen And so not being able to do that right now has been really challenging for my mental health. Yeah. But I also know that's not necessarily like a healthy coping mechanism and that, uh, you know, dealing with the trauma of what I've been through before, like in an appropriate way, um, is kind of like the way to move past it. Yeah. I think that a lot of parents and birthing people especially seek control just as as a norm but this goes like beyond that like i i mm-hmm. 100% can relate to what you're saying like yeah. my my ocd and my anxiety manifested in like i had to control it wasn't my life but like every aspect of avery's like I needed to make sure that she we were feeding her at the exact same times and at the exact same increments and like mm-hmm. and I needed to put her down for I still kind of do this but like she needs <laughs> to go down for a nap at a certain time so that she can wake up at a certain time so that we can do this at a certain time and then we can do that at a certain like yeah everything is a timetable and when it gets disrupted I really struggle with that and yeah like what you were saying with like nope 20 minutes isn't enough um my coping mechanisms are the exact opposite of yours okay. <laughs> um the I so because um because I couldn't one of my symptoms was that I would get so physically ill and nauseous I couldn't mm-hmm. eat um so when I wasn't nauseous I would eat whatever I was craving because I was like I need the calories because I had lost so much weight well that has sort of carried over um and I still do that so like it it's reminding me of a conversation I just had with my partner two nights ago I was like oh I really want dessert but we don't have enough ice cream for a full serving and he's Mm. like so just eat what we have like just have a little bit and I'm like that's not enough Yes. Yeah, I'm like, that's not enough. And he's like, Chels, like, <laughs> if you want the ice cream, eat the ice cream that we have. I'm like, no, because then I won't be satisfied. And mm-hmm. then I'll just be thinking about it and I'll want more. But it's, totally. it's, it sounds like it's the same thing with exercise. Like, no, 20 minutes isn't enough. I'll finish the 20 minutes and then I'll be mad because I, I want more. Yeah. So then I just won't do it at all. Yes. And that negatively impacts like my sense of self. Yes. Because um, that's always something that's made me feel good. And now I avoid it because I know it can't be perfect. Yes. Yes. And I'm kind of like the same way, like with um, my diet too. Like if it can't be perfect, I'll just go the extreme opposite and like have a piece of cake for breakfast and like yeah. eat whatever I want and just like not care because what's the point of being healthy if it can't be perfect? Yep. So I totally get that about the ice cream. <laughs> like, I need a full pint. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm like, no, it's only going to be like, it's going to be like a scoop. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. not enough. Yes. Yes. It's, well, and it's, I think, again, I'm not a mental health professional, but like, we're trying, it's just, we're trying to exhibit control because we've had such a lack of control. Yes, 100%. And then like, you know, recovering from pregnancy and like any trauma that happened postpartum, when you have now an infant, you know, it's like, where else are you going to find that control and like, that sense of like grounding? Yeah, it's just very a difficult balance. Absolutely. I kind of want to I want to explore, I want to, <laughs> I want to try to find the glimmers for you. Mm-hmm. I want to try to help you find the glimmers. But like, I also want to honor this journey for you is so heavy. And mm-hmm. I mean, how do you, where do, where do you feel like you fall in that journey right now? Like how, how do you feel like 
you are coping. Now that Halia is one, we didn't even talk about, we haven't even talked about that. We haven't even talked about like Halia coming into the world. Yeah. Like, why don't uh, we talk about, why don't we talk about that? Let's talk about how Halia came into the world. I mean, after going through what you went through, how, I guess, how did you meet your now husband and how did that, how did that evolve? Yeah. So, well, after going what I went through, I always, um, you know, honored the pregnancy that I lost on like the date of my miscarriage. I like planted a plant every year and um, just tried to like honor myself and what I went through and like look forward to becoming a mom one day. Yeah. So I met Sean kind of like right when I moved back to Vermont early 2020. We met online. I was having a lot of fun, like not in a bad way, but I was really <laughs> enjoying like, not in like a promiscuous way, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I was having fun like dating. Um, like it felt good to like get dressed up and just kind of like go forth without the Hawaii trauma. Yeah. Um, so it was like fun for me. Um, and I met Sean and we clicked right away and... We moved in together, I don't know, like the next year. Mm -hmm. um, Halia was not a planned pregnancy, but, um, you know, it was kind of like always the plan to like get married one day and have kids one day. And yeah. so she happened upon us and we were happy about it um, and excited. And I think we balance each other really well in terms of like parenthood. Mm-hmm. Did getting pregnant um, invoke any old anxieties or were you really hope like was it a were you able to be happy in the pregnancy? Yeah, so I think um, I assumed I was going to miscarry early on. You know, I told Sean, like, don't get your hopes up. Like my uterus is wonky with the fibroids. And then by that time, I had actually had some of the larger fibroids removed. Okay. So like I had scarring on my uterus. Um, I never thought that I would get pregnant by accident. I never thought it was going to be easy. <laughs> yeah. And then actually at 14 weeks, finally, when I was starting to feel comfortable in the pregnancy, like, oh, good. We're like past the first part. Um, I actually did have some spotting and looking back on it, it was really just spotting. Mm -hmm. But in the moment, like it brought everything back um, from my like prior issues with bleeding. Mm -hmm. And like I panicked. I thought I was going to die. I called Sean. He drove us to the ER and everything ended up being fine. Yeah. But I had that that panic come back. Um, not even like panic, I'm going to lose the pregnancy, but like panic, like I am dying. The bleeding is never going to stop. And it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was definitely anxiety in that regard. Um, I was really scared after birth that my bleeding was going to become out of control uh, I remember being in the hospital, like every time a nurse came in, I would say, can you please just check my bleeding? Like, is that fine? Is that too much? Yeah. So I, I was definitely anxious, I guess less so during pregnancy once I got further along um, and more so like after birth. Okay. Um, I also delivered by C-section uh, because I had... Uh, prior surgery on my uterus they didn't think my uterus was strong enough to withstand contractions okay so they did a c-section at 37 weeks and yeah I, I mean I I trusted my doctor I liked him a lot we saw him like all through my pregnancy um, but I would constantly like bring him research articles <laughs> on like bleeding and c-section and this and that and I would constantly ask him like how do you know you're gonna get all of the stuff out like how do you know I'm I'm not gonna bleed profusely and you know he reassured me every time and <laughs> yeah it ended up being fine but um 
Yeah, I'm probably one of his most interesting patients. <laughs> um, it's good though. It's good. I mean, it sounds like he he honored those those worries and totally and and tried to help reassure you rather than saying, "Well, you're emotional." Yes. No, he was a fantastic fantastic doctor. He dealt with my anxiety so well. And I remember like we had a planned C-section and I was like, well, like, what if it's not you on that day? Like, what if something happens and you can't come to work that day? And do the other doctors know how to fully clean out my uterus? Yeah. (laughs) He's like, yep, they do. (laughs) You don't need to worry. (laughs) So Halia was was not planned, but was a very happy surprise. Totally. And the C-section went well. Yes, the C-section went well. The C-section was terrifying. I, yep. I, <laughs> I'm with you 100% on that. Yep. <laughs> I was, I was terrified. Oh my gosh. I do think that they gave me, I was asking for anti-anxiety meds before we went to the OR because I just know myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're kind of like, no, like that's not best for baby. I was like, okay. And then we we got to the OR and I think I was freaking out enough that they did give me something uh, to calm down a little bit. Yeah. I just remember like staring at the clock on the wall, just like counting down, like when are they going to be done? Uh, The worst part was like, so she was born pretty quickly. That was exciting. And they brought her over to me. She was healthy. And then they took her away to, you know, do some shots and the eye stuff they put in Yeah. while they closed me up. And that was like the worst part, like laying there while they closed me up, like kind of like by myself. Yes. And it Um, takes forever. Yes. I was like, oh my God. I was just staring at the clock. I was like, breathe, just breathe. Yeah. (laughs) And like the anesthesiologist who's like by your head, like she wasn't very warm Oh, man. Um, Like, I remember, like, grabbing her hand, like, trying to be like, I'm scared, lady. Like, help me out here. Yeah. And she just, like, looked at me like I was a weirdo. Oh, my God, no. (laughs) Yeah. And my sister's in the medical field. And I told my sister about that. She's like, yeah, anesthesiologists, like, they're kind of known for being pretty cold. (laughs) I'm like, oh. Oh, I feel, mine was so nice. Like, I feel oh, that's so bad. Good. Mine was so nice. She was, like, asking me questions the whole time. And, like, how did you decorate the baby's room? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know. Are they done? Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, that's awesome. That's what I expected. Like, distract me. Yeah. She just gave, she gave me some oxygen. She was like, you're fine. Like, it might just feel good to breathe in the air. I was like, okay. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> oh my God. Um, I definitely had like a hormonal, a hormonal shift where like, I think it exhibited not necessarily in baby blues, but in anxiety, mm-hmm. um, like in the hospital, I thought I was going to want to stay in the hospital for as long as I could. And I was going to feel safe and they would help me. And for some reason, I just, I felt super anxious in the hospital, like, especially at night when, like, Sean was asleep. Like, I didn't feel safe there. I was constantly thinking about, like, a shooter coming into the hospital. Mm. Um, Like, I was just scared. Like, I wanted to, like, lock the door. And I I think that was just the hormonal shift. I don't really know. I mean, they, they... I hate saying they say, I don't even know who they are, but when you, when you read about it, that is the biggest hormonal shift a human will ever experience Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. giving birth and, and the postpartum period. Yeah. So yeah, that's, I, I felt the same way though. I, I mean, and I don't know why still, Mm -hmm. but I just want, I didn't want to be there. Yeah, and I I did not expect feeling that way because I thought I would feel really safe and like I don't know, but yeah, I was I I just felt scared yeah. like at night especially like I don't know, felt like I was in like a a horror movie about to happen or something mm. uh, for no particular reason, um, and then when we got home, it felt really good to be home, um, and so. My mom, we have a very, uh, this kind of like a change in topic, but we have a very 
challenging relationship. Um, my mom had very severe postpartum depression after I was born. Okay. Um, to the point that like we did not bond or really even interact. Um, my first couple years of life until um, she eventually left, and I was completely raised by my dad. Oh wow! And. <laughs> My, I don't know really the full details, um, but my dad to this day said that, you know, like I was a planned pregnancy. I was baby number two. Mm-hmm. Um, I was planned. They were happy. And he, he describes it as like the moment I was delivered out of my mom, she changed mm. and she never really recovered. Um she still struggles uh, with mental health. She's on disability. She can't work. I don't blame her for it, but we have a very strained relationship. Yeah. And um, I was absolutely terrified that the same thing would happen to me. Yeah. Um, so I was I was so scared to be home alone with Halia. Like I had those like intrusive thoughts like, what if I hurt her? What if I drowned her? What if I threw her down the stairs? Yeah. And it's not acts that you want to do, but it, they're definitely like intrusive thoughts. Yeah. Um, and like, I've, I've been a great mom to Halia. Like I, I love her. I would never hurt her. I'm so happy for like the bonds that we have, but, um, it was very terrifying. Like what if I just, get super depressed what if I just decide I don't want it anymore what if I abandon her so that was like a huge fear even like throughout my pregnancy like I don't want what happened to mom to happen to me yeah you know yeah and I think that speaks to 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 the way that mental health in general was even perceived when your mom was was younger Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it sucks to hear that she's still struggling too, because I don't like, I don't know her whole story and, mm-hmm. and it's, it's awesome that you can sort of, you can sort of say like, yep, I don't, I don't blame myself for that. Like my mom had something going on, mm-hmm. but I wonder too, like, cause they say postpartum, well, you're always after you have a baby, you're always in the postpartum period, that just for yeah. the rest of your life. But yeah. um <laughs> but postpartum mental health disorders, they're totally treatable and you can recover from them, but if they go untreated, they can continue. Yes. Um so I wonder if so, if she would have been able to receive support earlier on if if it would be different. And I mean, yeah. there's no there's no sense in sort of like dwelling on that now but it just Mm -hmm. it makes me sad because it it's still the state of the mental health system and especially the postpartum mental health system is not great but then it was like non-existent totally and my dad he told me just just a few weeks ago like I don't know a lot of details about that time in life Mm -hmm. um but he told me he said the first doctor we saw um, was not great. Mm. And he said maybe like it could have been different. Yeah. Um, And my dad, he was totally like, like he said to me, like I knew that your mom was sick. Um, I knew that she couldn't control it. I knew that she was trying. Like he was very aware of um, the mental health disorder. Yeah it totally makes sense that you would worry about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I said it in my episode or not, but my oldest, who's about to be eight, she, so she has an anxiety disorder. um, And she has straight up told me, (laughs) she's like, mommy, I don't want to be like you. <laughs> like not like that though because she's the yeah. sweetest, she's the sweetest, most empathetic, kindest person in my life that I've ever met. But when mm-hmm. she found out she had an anxiety disorder, she goes, "Mommy, you have an anxiety disorder." And I'm like, "Yeah, I do." And she goes, "Mommy, I don't want to be like you like that." Yeah. And 
and that's real. And I had, I had to separate myself from that because mm-hmm. I don't want her to be like that either. Totally. <laughs> you know? Um, so totally. it makes perfect sense. And it sounds like you are doing really well. I mean, with Halia, like you are, did <laughs> not have, you did not have trouble bonding with her. Right. Yeah. Yes. I'm very, I feel very fortunate for that. Um, like even throughout my pregnancy, my mom, you know, and we don't have a close relationship. She would reach out to me and say, like, make sure you tell your doctor that like this happened to me. Like you're at risk for this. Mm. Um, you know, and I didn't know how to take it because it made me like really anxious. Yeah. And like I was like, I don't want to be consumed with this, um, that it's going to happen to me. Yeah. I mean, and maybe that was her way of kind of like mothering you a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she tries. Yeah. She's she's not, you know, it's just we don't we we're just we don't have a relationship, you know. Yeah. And even now, my dad, you know, as much as he understood her mental illness, um, when he sees me with Halia, he'll make comments that he'll say, oh, it's so nice. All the stuff you do for Halia, like you're nothing like your mother. Mm. Which, like, I don't know how to take because, like, she had, she has a mental health disorder. Like, it's, it's not her fault. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's just a weird thing. Like, he'll make some comments that I, I don't really understand. Yeah. I mean, from an outsider's perspective, it sounds like he's probably just thankful Mm-hmm. that that you're not having to deal with those same things but yeah I don't know how I would take that either like, yeah that's, yeah it's very odd <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and people don't know always how like their words come across or how people take them but yeah it's just weird he makes comments like that a lot huh through all of this and through everything that you've been through what are some of your favorite parts about being Halia's mom Um, number one is when I make her laugh. (laughs) Number one, that always just like, I have these moments when she giggles that it's like, yes, like this is worth it. This is like the full circle moment. Yeah. I love just like taking care of her and showing her things and like letting her explore um, watching her learn pretty much all of it. I love like making food for her. Yeah, that must be a cool thing, right? That must be a cool, that's a way to sort of tie in your health and wellness passion. Totally. Yeah, that's a really cool way to, to connect that. Yeah, and I used to be like, oh, she can't have this, she can't have that, she can't have this, and that's kind of ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so now I'm just trying to be like really open and flexible, like try all the foods you want. Um, like I don't want my like issues with like diet and exercise to get pushed onto her. Mm-hmm. You just love Halia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's so exactly. sweet. She's so <laughs> sweet. And she does. So she obviously I, I only see you guys at kinder music, but mm-hmm. like she seems the two of you seem very similar like she just she just she's got this she's got this adorable little like shy smile Mm -hmm. and the two of you are so you can you're so connected like Avery is trying to get out of my lap the whole class (laughs) and Halia is just like no I got my mom I got my mama like um so it's she I don't know she's such a sweetheart and it's so good to know that despite everything that you went through, you are able to have this life with your mm-hmm. now husband and Halia that isn't perfect because nothing is perfect, mm-hmm. um, but that you are able to sort of find joy. Totally. Yeah. I'm very, very, very grateful for like, how my life has ended up and that I'm a mom now and it's what I've always wanted and it's not always easy and like I still struggle with my anxiety but like this is I wouldn't want to be anywhere else 
Yeah. I feel the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't, it doesn't make everything that you went through okay. And it doesn't make it, I've said it before and I'll continue to say it. Like I, I'm not a fan of the term silver linings. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily subscribe to the belief that we go through things because we're supposed to, and, and then we get the happy ending. Like I don't, right. Um, but to, to have gone through what you went through and, and what so many birthing people go through and to the most important thing to remember is that it, it, everything is temporary. It's not forever. Mm-hmm. And that you, you will find joy again. Totally. 100%. Yeah. And I mean, in the throes of it, I never thought, you know, it feels hopeless. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you just hang in, everything does change and everything can get better. Yeah. And you're right. It's hard. Time is the hardest thing. And that's what they all tell you. They'll just, just, it'll take time. It'll take time. Mm-hmm. So I feel honestly like we could go on and on and on and on, mm-hmm. but to respect <laughs> your time, <laughs> um, I'll ask, I'll ask a question that I ask all of my guests. If you could go back in time and not you can't tell yourself what you're going to experience you can't tell yourself what the outcome's going to be but you can arm yourself with something to sort of get you through what do you think you would either say to yourself or instill in yourself um that maybe would have helped in those moments that's a tough question it is, it is a hard <laughs> um, question it is like i want to say like you don't have to be perfect just in the way that I, I've like tried to control my anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like you don't have to be perfect and like you can still be a good mom and a good partner and you can still be healthy and take care of your body without being perfect. Yeah. Do you feel like, do you feel like you're getting to a place where that's ringing more true for you? Um, <laughs> or it's a work in progress. It's a work in progress for sure. Yeah. I'm trying. I'm I'm aware of it. That's good. That's yeah. a good first step. That's a yeah. good first step. But yeah, no, I I relate. I can relate for sure. I sincerely appreciate you sharing your story. I I did not anticipate being able to connect with as much of it as I did. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's definitely touched me very deeply. Um, and I just, yeah, like I'm, I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful that we met. Um, and I don't know, if, I don't know if you're doing kinder music next month, but we will be. I am. Okay, cool. Yes, yes I'll be there. <laughs> Yay. So we'll, we will see you at kinder music, but just thank you so much. And, and yeah. you're not alone. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to thank Kaylee again for bravely sharing her story. Her ability to be vulnerable and honest throughout our session touched me in ways I did not anticipate. If you'd like to follow along with us on Quiet Connection, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Threads at Quiet Connection or at Quiet Connection Podcast. You can support our community by writing a review on your favorite podcast platform and sharing our episodes on social media. You could also consider becoming a Patreon member and gain access to things like bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and goodies in the mail once a month. And if you'd like to share your personal journey, you can reach us through our website, quietconnectionpodcast.com, or by email at quietconnectionppmh at gmail.com. Join us next time when another story is told and you realize you are not alone. I see you.